Amen. Psalm 27. I know this might be a favorite of yours, and uh, we want to look at verse 4 in this psalm. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple. Tonight from this verse and this idea, this concept, I'd like to speak on this subject when desire meets discipline. God bless you. Please be seated. Well, we're uh, one month in to 2023. And I just wanted to ask tonight, no show of hands, no falling on your face in prayer, but how are, how are your goals for the new year going so far? Has the joyous journey of January become the frustrations of failures of February? How, how's it going? The beautiful weather we've been enjoying here in the South. <laughs> Have your dreams collided with reality? A rude awakening of the same old you staring in the same old mirror again in 2023. You feel like Joseph, whose dreams have been delayed by the pit and the prison when you know you're destined for the palace. So tonight, I want to encourage you to not lose your desire to realize your destiny, your God-ordained destiny, and the dreams that God has planted in your life. I've not come tonight on a Wednesday Bible study to shame you, uh, to tell you that you're unworthy or that you're unacceptable. Who told you that anyway? Amen? That's right. I've come to encourage you and point you maybe to some practical helps uh, toward having your desire meet discipline. Brother Graham's message, Brother Scott Graham's message on January 22nd, stuck in my spirit, and I made a couple notes along this line and prayed this through a little bit, but he spoke on building a chamber on your wall. And he spoke about the great Shunammite woman that had a desire, you know, he applied this to the presence of God, the prophet coming by and staying there, abiding there, and he talked about the importance of building a wall, of actually doing something more than having a desire for God, disciplining yourself to build a chamber where God can dwell. So that's the same theme that I want to speak about tonight. The desire is always good. It's a good place to start. And without a desire, nothing good ever happens. Desire is a strong feeling of wanting to have something or wishing for something to happen in your life. A desire could be a thought, be somewhat more emotional than rational maybe. Almost anything you want to do in life starts with the desire. One thing have I desired of the Lord. You may not have taken the first step in the journey of your dream, but desire is the spark that ignites a fire in your life to go there. David had a desire. I want to go back to the beginning of Psalm 27 just to get to verse 4. Psalm 27 is known as a Psalm of David. 
The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host, David said, should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. That's the setup for verse 4. Amen. My desire, David's desire, one thing, one thing, have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. This desire of David, you can read it for yourself, was to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life, to live in the presence of the Lord. We shouldn't think that he literally desires to hang out in the, the tabernacle precincts in his life, the temple was not yet built, to just stay inside the tabernacle forever, but to abide in the presence of the Lord. And he said, I desire to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And he tells us what he wants to do in the house of the Lord. The first thing is to behold the beauty of the Lord. Now, pretty often when we come to God in prayer or worship, we have a list, we have an agenda, we have wants and needs in our life, and we might jump over this first part of David's desire to get to the ask, to the inquire part. But the first thing David says is, I want to behold the beauty of the Lord. I don't know the kind of person you are, but I'm prone to, to do something. My phrase for life is, what's the plan? What are we going to do about it? So I'm that guy that can walk right past my wife's holiday decorations, whatever season it might be, on my way to whatever I'm thinking about at that time. I'm not very good at beholding the beauty of the Lord, stopping and thinking about it. My dad gave me a little insight into me as a child. Later he told me, said we were at this little carnival thing and you were riding a ride and while you were, just, just came to my mind by the way, this is not in my notes, which always means it's of God, but this is probably just a thought, not of God. He said, while you're riding that one ride, you were looking at the next ride that you wanted to go on next. And I thought, wow, Dad, you have just nailed my personality. What's next? What are we going to do? As soon as we get off this ride, there's got to be another one. But David said, when I get in the house of the Lord, I'm just going to stop, going to look around I'm going to behold the beauty of the Lord. I'm going to enjoy his presence. I'm not going to have an agenda. I'm going to make sure that I embrace who he is in his majesty and power and greatness. And I think this is a pretty powerful idea. It's not just an activity, but it is not asking for anything, but it does inspire faith to inquire. When you see his greatness and power and the beauty of the Lord, then you know that God can do anything you ask. He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that is working in us. And you have not because you ask not or because you ask amiss or faultily to consume it on your own, you know, wrong desires. But 
that inquiring is a good thing, but it's better to stop and behold the beauty of the Lord. When we pray, I think worship and coming to God and thanking him sets our heart aright so that we're in a better posture to inquire, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And David wants to ask God some things. He wants to talk to the Lord. We don't know specifically from Psalm 27 what David has on his mind, but he does plan to inquire in his temple. So desire is a wonderful thing, but desire is not an action. A thought, an emotion, and attention. Desire is a strong feeling of wanting to have something, or it's a wish for something to happen. But just having a desire alone will never get anything to happen in your life. Now, was reading, thinking about aspirations, desires, and just researching around and I read some things about kids. You know, kids are pretty fearless when it comes to dreaming about their future. If you ask a five-year-old about his or her career aspirations, there's a good chance they know. They already know what they want to be when they grow up. And they'll tell you, an astronaut, pro football star, a bajillionaire, president of the United States, perhaps you remember that story from our family that I won't repeat. Some kids want to be all of those things at the same time. But adults don't always achieve their childhood dreams. They don't always come to pass. And sometimes they fade away with reality coming to life. According to statistics, a study done in 2017 by the trade schools, college, and universities they said that of 2,700 adults surveyed about their current roles in the workplace, compared and stacked up against their childhood goals, about 80% of them, 78.06%, said that they did not do what they planned to do when they were a kid. They did not follow the career path of their six-year-old imaginations. Only 22% of people pursued the jobs they had in mind in their younger years. Now, 90% of those respondents who fell into the category of doing something else they planned to do said that they were relatively happy in their careers. And I thought about that, and I thought, you know, maybe that's really good, but then maybe that's not so good. Maybe some people have settled for less, and they've just decided to be content with not achieving their great potential. They had a desire but their desire failed to meet discipline, and so they settled just for mediocrity when God had created them for greatness. So good news or bad news, some people tend to be content even though they never reach their dreams and their greatest desires never came true. So this dynamic uh, tonight I want to talk about is that if you have a desire your destiny, that your desire is seeing, will only come to pass when it is married to discipline. David said, Psalm 27, 4 again, one thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after. So you already have the sermon. You can be dismissed now. Not really. Don't get your hopes up. If you were my mother, 
she is still alive. If I would have ended this sermon now, she said, you just wasted our time. We spent all that time getting ready, driving to church, and you preached for 15 minutes and let us go. That's, that's, you cheated us. That's what she would say. One thing, so I have to finish my message or else my mother will be really upset. That will I seek after. And then we know what he's seeking after. Dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. But in David's life, desire meets discipline when he commits himself to seek after what he desires. If you get your desires right, and I'm talking about godly dreams and desires. If you get the right destiny lined up to the way God gifted you and wired you, then you can introduce discipline into those desires and see that destiny come to pass. Through the years, I've enjoyed this quote by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. He said, the heights by great men reached and kept were not attained by sudden flight, but they, while their companions slept, were toiling upward in the night or maybe early in the morning, depending on whether you are a lark or an owl. But Longfellow said that there's a lot of people that have dreams. There's a lot of people that want to do well in life. But some people just go to sleep with desire. And other people let their desire meet discipline. And they, they make sure that their dreams and desires do not die but they find a path from here to there. Amen. I, I read about a wannabe theologian, and somewhere in a past set of notes, leadership notes, I have this story, but I could not find it, and I Googled every version of that and searched my computer, but one theologian is writing about another. And he said this other theologian always had books in his head, always had things he was going to do, he always had these tomes that he was going to write, but he never quite got there. It was just always a dream of his, but he never took that incredible potential that was latent in him and released it when desire meets discipline. I read that self-discipline is something like a muscle, that the more you exercise it, the stronger that it gets. I want to just say this kind of in passing that my observation, this is not always true, my observation is that when children are over-disciplined, they sometimes run from responsibility. When children are under-disciplined, they don't understand what discipline is. The book of Lamentations says that it is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. So children should grow up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. We're to bring them up that way. So good parenting is that right balance of love and discipline to help ch children before they have the nature that is disciplined to teach them good habits and godly discipline. Last night, I went down to a, a gathering of the North American Missions Board for Georgia and District Board, and Brother Terry Shock was speaking there. And he said, if you have a Sunday school contest to read your Bible and pray or whatever that is, he said, why don't you add to that contest for those kids to make their bed? And he said, because that's a practical thing that will help them in life to learn to take responsibility. And I thought it was a really good comment 
that sometimes in the church, maybe we focus on things that are spiritual and good, but we don't really connect them to the practical that helps make for discipline in the life of a person. Years ago, I heard someone say that in, in Pentecostal circles, I think we're beyond that here, but that we're long and heavy on inspiration and short and light on application. We love the experience and altars and we're tongue talkers and we believe in the presence and power of God, but maybe not as the greatest emphasis on discipline. Well, we're, again, we're past that. I think we've got that balance in our church and in the apostolic movement in general. But I want to just talk about this discipline, that it should be exercised. So I've, I've observed, and I'm not saying this is a law, that people who are properly disciplined growing up find it easier to develop self-discipline. And when you become an older teenager or young adult, it is very, very difficult to impose that discipline on yourself, self-discipline, if you never had practical discipline in your life. My message tonight is not to write you off if that's how you were raised, but to have you let your desire meet discipline and strengthen the muscle of self-discipline, the word disciple, amen, discipleship, is rooted in this discipline to take up your cross daily and follow Jesus Christ. So I'm not preaching about a regimen or a form of habits that is not spiritual, but the spiritual habits that we form are also disciplines that help us in every facet of our lives. When desire meets discipline, something really great happens. I love what, I love what Paul said, and maybe it's later in my notes, he said, I keep under my body. I realize that my nature can be a little wild and undisciplined, but I make sure that I do not let my desires, my, my ungodly desires, that sounds like I'm in my sermon, control me. I bring those wild desires under the discipline of the cross of Jesus Christ. I keep under my body. Now, um, I want you to think about this because, you know, there's this long goal of what you want to be. Go to heaven. Uh, accomplish this feat in your life or this degree. Gain this education. Make a certain amount of money. Do something in the kingdom of God. Win people to the Lord. Whatever that may be, that's the destination. But if that self-discipline is rooted in self-hate, you're probably going to give up. If you hate every day of what you're doing, if you don't enjoy the journey, if you don't find a way to like telling yourself no and seeing the end result, then you're probably not gonna get to that end result if you hate every day. Now, I know that discipline's not always easy, but you're probably not going to hate yourself to health. Or to pray more. If you don't, you know, if you don't enjoy, if you don't behold the beauty of the Lord, if you don't enjoy the journey, you're probably going to check out along the way. So part of my message today is to encourage you that when desire meets discipline, to enjoy what you're disciplining yourself to do. Don't hate your work. I'm not meaning to compliment myself, but I've always, I guess I'm easily amused. 
I honestly can't think of a time in my life when I disliked what I was doing. Sometimes there was more to do than I had time to do. There are times you get weary, tired. Sometimes it's difficult. But if you spend your life miserable, hoping for a day when you're suddenly going to become happy, when you suddenly get to the destination, but if you don't enjoy the journey, if you don't enjoy the discipline along the way and see how it is connected to the end, then you're just going to check out and give up. I'm talking about when desire meets discipline. You see, the Lord has told us that he's given us joy unspeakable and full of glory. Jesus promised that he came to give us life and that more abundantly. Now, I know it is balanced with this idea that if in this life only we had hope in Christ, we would be of all men most miserable. So we know there has to be the motivation of heaven and the desire to get there. But in the journey, there is a wonderful aspect of this that you can love it along the way. Amen. I want to just take a moment to, uh, to tell you a personal testimony. Uh, growing up, I grew up in church. And like a lot of young people, I had desires, aspirations for my life. And they changed. They, they changed from time to time. My Uncle Tom was a fireman, and I probably at one time said I want to be a fireman like Uncle Tom, although I don't really remember that, but probably I did, you know. He had a uniform, and it was really cool, and he put out fires with, you know, put wet stuff on red stuff. And so, you know, that sounded like a great thing, maybe. But I remember there was a time that I wanted to be a wide receiver in the National Football League. Don't laugh. You're laughing right now. But I took special time to find short wide receivers, not today, but in the past, to, to, to know that it was an attainable goal. I mean, Julio Jones is not one of those short guys, but there's been a few out there in the last 40 years. And so why not? If anybody could do that, I just thought I could do that. Well, that probably wasn't a realistic aspiration, but I remember thinking that, and then there was quite a while that, that I decided I was going to be a dentist, and took my classes in high school, and aimed in that direction, and interviewed with our family dentist, and I realized that, that you know, many of the people listening to me tonight, you don't have a call to preach, and you're not going to be an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, and because preachers usually are the ones teaching in church. I don't want you to think that I'm talking tonight about a call to preach or be a missionary to the Congo or wherever. I'm talking about God's plan for your life. And I remember as an older teenager, you know, in high school still, thinking that the will of God was some burden I had to bear. I had to find the will of God. And it would surely be opposite to my will. Because, you know, your will had to die and Certainly my will and God's will couldn't be the same, you know. And there were times I had thought, well, maybe God's calling me to preach. But I knew I didn't have the gifting and I didn't have the ability to do that. So I really kind of shrugged that off for most of my high school years. And uh, I remember just thinking about these different career choices and I was not really motivated toward them. You know, it was an idea. It was, you know, you make a living. And there, there were other things that I, I thought about in my life. I'm sure that I would not have made it if an, as an NFL wide receiver, but nonetheless, it was an idea. But, you know, I've talked about, preached about through the years about going to Korea and a youthful missions trip, International Youth Corps back then, and 
the Lord speaking to me on that trip. It's a big world, and if you want to be involved in my kingdom, there is a place for you. It was a trigger in my life that I then saw something that I could desire that God had for me that became a huge motivator. In high school, in class, I was not highly motivated. I didn't do a lot of reading and study. Honestly, you didn't really have to, to pass. So I wasn't highly motivated to that. And I remember going to Bible college, highly motivated, passionate in my mind, for the first time in my life, a desire that was burning in me to do something. But I had never done a lot of extra reading when I was in high school. I never really done all the extra study because I didn't have to. It wasn't expected or required. But when I went to Bible college, I remember that first year trying to wrestle myself down to the ground to stay up. And, and it seemed like the longer I was in school, the easier it got for me to study and learn. But I remember reading and rereading and staying up late at night. But a desire drove the discipline. But I knew that if I did not force myself to study, that I would not succeed. I did not want to be that guy who kind of skimmed through Bible college to do something for God in a half-hearted way. So something changed in me. And I'm not really talking tonight about that call as much as that switch in me when my desire met discipline and it changed me. I remember, you know, my wife and I started dating in uh, the middle of her uh, freshman year, I believe, junior year, and my senior year, somewhere in there, early, early, earlier than that, junior year maybe. And, but I, I worked for the school. So I would, you know, go to class, go to lunch, work in the office, go to dinner, go to the office. I could go to the office and lock myself in. One semester, I went to a junior college nearby and, and just was there. And a lot of my friends spent most of the evening in the student center goofing off. Not everybody. Nothing wrong with goofing off a little bit. But I, I, and I'm not bragging on myself, but something changed in me. I became a different focused person because desire got a hold of me and I knew I had to discipline myself to the fire that God had placed in me. So I made up my mind that I was gonna do whatever it took. I saw my GPA go up. I saw my ability to learn, grow better, but it was not an accident. And, and I want to... I want to just clarify, it's in my notes, that I'm not setting myself up as some example of discipline. I've not reached my potential. I'm still trying to get there. I don't believe that I'm the paragon of perfection in any way. But I'm just testifying about a switch that happened in my life, something that changed inside of me. Then I realized that no matter how much of a desire I had, that I would never be able to achieve what God put in my heart if I did not wrestle my flesh, and not just sinful flesh, but a nature down to the ground and discipline it to what God wanted me to be. Whatever that is for you, if it is business, if it is education, if it is relationships, if it is ministry, you've got to make up your mind, one thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after. I am going to make it the passion of my life. Amen. It's not 100 things I'm going to dabble in. It's one thing I'm going to seek after all the days of my life. 
David's desire was worthy of his discipline and his total devotion. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after. In the broad application of this principle, when desire meets discipline, you can fulfill your God-ordained destiny. But in keeping with this passage, for David, he desired to do the right thing. He desired to do the one thing that matters in life, and that was to dwell in the presence of the Lord. And then he sought after that. He pursued his desire. Now, it doesn't mean that he was going to live in church all the time, right? But it was to live in the presence of God. Now, I want to talk about this for a few minutes on the spiritual side of that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. You know, in the Old Testament, when the glory departed from Israel, um, Phineas's wife had a son, and she named him Ichabod. The glory is departing from Israel. And an uh, unexpected moment of emotion. I don't ever want the glory of God, the presence of God, to depart out of my life. I don't ever want the glory of God to depart out of our church. So when we discipline ourselves to our desire for the abiding presence of God, then we follow some principles. 1 Corinthians 3.16, Know you not that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. If I want to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, then I need to discipline myself to refuse the lust of the flesh. Amen? 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication or sexual sins sinneth against his own body. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. Therefore, excuse me, for you are bought with a price. That's an important phrase. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after. And if I am going to seek the abiding presence of God in my life, that I'm not going to the store, going to work, going wherever that is you're going or wherever you are, and that you are outside the temple of the Lord. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And you can live in the abiding presence of God, but don't evict him from the temple of your life by trying to have God's favor coexist with sin in your life. This is where it's in my notes, but not on the screens. When Paul said, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. I'm not shadow boxing, and I'm not just out for a jog. I'm in a race. That's what he means. But I keep under my body. And there's an imagery here of what was called a pugilist, a trainer for a fighter. Paul said, I'm my own trainer. I'm my own pugilist. And sometimes you just got to beat yourself up. 
to get out of the bed or stay up or work harder or stay in the books or in the Bible or in prayer. But if desire meets discipline, that's what Paul was saying. I, I bring it into subjection. Lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. It is possible to minister to others and yourself be lost. There's a famous sermon among preachers that Brother J.T. Pugh preached, that people that are anointed but not blessed. That anointing tends to, to stay after the favor, the blessing of God resides in a person's life because they're in a right relationship. It is possible to do ministry, to feel anointing, to be used of God and not be living for God. I don't quite understand it, but I know it to be true. We should never mistake that feeling of God using us while there's duplicity in our lives. We need to discipline ourselves to the desire to abide in the presence of the Lord. The house of the Lord all the days of my life. And if we want to be that, then as Paul said in Ephesians 4 and 20, we will, 4 30, we will not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. If I want him in my life, then I'm not going to do something that displeases him. Whether it is resisting worship or rejecting a prompting of the Spirit or disobeying clear scriptural principles, knowing that I am doing the wrong thing. Paul also said in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, to quench not the Spirit. There, there's an old book was written in 1692, released again in 1977, I believe. You can Google it. You can find it on Amazon. It is called The Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. That's his, Brother Lawrence. It's an amazing idea. I've known some, some people, and I'm not talking about someone who acts spiritual. I'm talking about people who really are spiritual. who actually walk in the Spirit. They don't have to repent for 15 minutes before they pray. That they repent instantly if they sin. And they practice the presence of God. That This is my text, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. That there's not a day that I'm taking a vacation from God. And I tell God, wait here till next Sunday or Wednesday. And I just had this passing thought. You're amazing people. Midweek Bible study. But you know, if someone cannot get into the presence of God in church, in corporate worship, wow, how are they going to get in the presence of God alone? Maybe you think it's easier there. But practicing the presence of God. Discipline makes desire become a reality. And discipline moves desire from an emotion to an action. When desire meets discipline, you're willing to do what we've been trying to preach this year. That there's some things that you have to say, it's time to throw away. That doesn't belong in my life anymore. It's incongruent with my walk with God. It's incompatible with holiness. When we accept that on this earth, in this life, that there is no continuing city, that we are citizens of heaven, we allow discipline to marry desire. So the union of those two 
Those two things can bring greatness in our life. And then there are times we need to shake off labels that limit us, as I said early, when, you know, when someone tries to condemn you, and I preached on, who told you that? And by the way, you know, sometimes something sticks in the hearts of people, and I guess more people have come to me in passing and said, thank you for that message, who told you that? Because so many people battle with having been put down, knocked down, abused, left out, and they just need to know that God loves them, God believes in them, God is for them, amen? Amen. So if anybody told you, you can't be spiritual and you can't walk with God, that is a lie. You just have to let desire meet discipline, and it will grow. The more you pray, the more you will want to pray. It feeds off itself. Amen. And the less you pray, the less you will want to pray. It's not like skipping supper and being more hungry tomorrow. It really works in reverse of that. Amen. Psalm 27, 4. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Now, I was thinking about David, and David's life consisted of more than one thing. One thing have I desired of the Lord. David was a warrior, a worshiper, a songwriter and poet. He was a musician. I believe he was an inventor of musical instruments, which is pretty awesome to think about. He was a king, a husband, a father, maybe not always the best father. He was a good brother. He was a son. But all of those relationships in David's life, all of those roles that he filled from shepherd to king and everything in between, they were nurtured by the one thing that he desired above all else. One thing have I desired of the Lord. I have to add here a key verse, not in the notes I gave to media, but Solomon said in Proverbs 4.23, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The NIV, I believe, says it's the wellspring of life. So here's how I see David's desire in Psalm 27.4, that if he dwells in the house of the Lord all the days of his life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple, he now has a relationship that serves every other facet of his life. That doesn't mean that if you're spiritual, you're not good for anything else. It means you're more good for everything else. It means that you have a reservoir out of which you can water or serve every other relationship. If you're married, your marriage. If you have children, your family. But also your work, your employees, your employer, other people that work with you in ministry. It's that inner world. It's that dwelling in the presence of God, beholding the beauty of the Lord, inquiring in his temple that equips you to do everything else that you need to do in life with grace and with godliness. Amen. I was thinking about Jesus. He was very clear on his mission, his one thing. He, wrote, he said in John 18, 37, to this end was I born. And for this cause came I into the world. 
He didn't spend every day questioning his identity or wondering what he was to be about. Now, I used to be a youth pastor. You know that. I got too old. They won't let me do that anymore. So now I have to pastor big people. It's a bummer, but it is what it is. No, I'm kidding. I love to see people develop. And I love formative years. Really, children's ministry is probably that best spot, right? Never got to do that full time. But I understand there's a season in life for you to figure out what you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to do. It's not 50. It's not 40. Maybe it's 20. I'm not trying to nail it down too tightly. I remember being at a general conference and a gentleman coming to me, he was a longtime friend, drifted away, away from apostolic identity. But he walked to me and, and, and he said, you know, I, I know who I am and I know what I believe. And I didn't say this back out of respect, but I thought to myself, you were supposed to have that figured out 30 years ago. What kind of a statement is that for a person your age I mean, there's a lot of things you can say. If you're J.T. Pugh, you can tell me, I don't hate nobody. But if you're 50-something years old, it's not really the time to say, I know who I am and I know what I believe. Figure that out in your late teen years, in your early adult years, and settle it and know who you are and what you're supposed to be doing with your life. Jesus said, to this end was I born, and for this cause I came into the world. Philippians 3.13. The Apostle Paul, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, this one thing I desire. He tells us how he does this one thing. I think these next phrases are how he does it. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The one thing he did is press toward that upward calling of God for eternal life. Now, I want to back up just a minute. It just occurred to me that there are seasons in life and our roles change. And we need to know the season we're in and what we should be doing in this season. We have a lot of people that are maybe at retirement age and you're kind of re-envisioning the next season of your life. That's okay to figure that out. But I'm talking about a while ago about core values, mission in life, and who you are. You figure that out young. You don't have to go through a big midlife crisis and start over and become a teenager again. My opinion. If you're insecure at 13 and 20, you're going to be insecure at 43 and 53 and at 65 and as you face death. So you might as well ask God to help you be complete in Christ now so that you can gracefully grow old and die with dignity when the Lord calls you home. And if I don't do that, you can say I didn't, but that's a goal. So Paul did not say these hundred things I dabble in, this one thing I do. Jesus said that if you keep the main thing, the main thing, all these other things will be added unto you. Matthew 6, 33. We know this verse, right? But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Don't forget that. And all these things shall be added unto you. I think there's a secret of Psalm 27, 4. 
One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after. My desire is going to meet discipline, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. I'm going to behold his beauty. I'm going to inquire in his temple. And once I get that right, I'll let everything else trickle down from that. Because that's the main thing, and everything flows out of that. 